Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Denise Okuda from Star Trek. This is Michael Okuda, graphic designer from Star Trek. And you're listening to Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. If you like what we're serving here at the Sci-Fi Diner, feel free to leave us a tip at patreon.com backslash sci-fi, spelled the right way, and by Audible. Get a free audiobook when you sign up today, audibletrial.com backslash sci-fi diner. Engage. Science fiction is an existential metaphor that allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, where we serve up interviews, news, and our view on the world of science fiction. Come, grab a chair, and enjoy the conversations. I think we've got an unexpected guest. Rose, we're going, we don't need Rose. Yes, who's coming to dinner? Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. I'm Chrissy Raffensperger. And I'm Dave Sellers. And tonight, we are continuing our review of Star Trek. We are up to Star Trek Eight, which is First Contact, which is, I guess, the first totally next-gen movie, right? Because the other one was a combination of the original series and next-gen. Yes, the last one was what I would call a limited crossover with some TOS crew, mainly with Captain Kirk and Picard. But uh, no, this is this is purely a next generation yeah. Uh, movie. Yeah. So it's been about a month since we last recorded. So there's been a little, quite a bit of time between episodes and uh, a lot of life stuff going on for me in particular and my son and and the Kiefer who's been in the show and we're just kind of helping him work through some of that stuff. So we have not been recording, but it's good to be back. But I feel like before we leap into first contact, we should kind of just catch up. As far as what's going on in our own geek worlds and uh, and go from there. How's that sound, guys? Sounds great. All right. Cool. Um, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, Miles, let's start with you. What's been going on in your sci-fi world just to kind of catch up and well, all the as, geekiness? As far as what's on TV, I'm still enjoying the, the, what the CW uh, DC shows, uh, Flash, um, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, and... I actually did start watching um, Black uh, Black Lightning. Um, particularly enjoying Black Lightning. I think the writing for that show is particularly good. And I just started recently watching um, uh, Daredevil on Netflix. Okay. Uh, movies wise, I haven't seen anything new in the movies, sci-fi wise yet. Uh, looking forward. This month we'll have um, some new ones. So we'll have uh, Aquaman coming out and um, uh, the new Transformers movie, Bumblebee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reading, um, I'm reading a new Stargate novel right now. Um, there hasn't been any new Star Trek novels, so what I've been doing is when I look at Amazon, I, I use Amazon Kindle for, for most of my reading. I just put time travel in there, and, and if I see some time tra- travel novels that look interesting, I've been you know, you know, purchasing that and, and reading those. So right, that's what that that's what I've been reading right now. Very good. And you mentioned that in Supergirl that uh, two of the people we had interviewed that made appearances this season. Yeah, this was exciting. This season, um, they they have um, uh, Sam Witwer uh, playing. He's one of the main baddies this season. Uh, we've had opportunity to interview on the on the podcast uh, twice. Yeah, uh, he's been a guest at the Farpoint Convention, and uh, Jesse Rath uh, joined them last season. Uh, he basically plays. Uh, the version of Brainiac in the 30th or 31st century, but Brainiac's a good guy, so he's helping our heroes uh, 
but we interviewed him and met him at uh, Shore Leave a couple years yeah, ago. Yeah, and he was uh, part of Defiance. Is the, he was the part show of Defiance. Yes. He had. Well, Sam Witwer, of course, uh, the voice of Darth Maul in the latest Star uh, Wars movie. Right. So, so. Uh, that, that's cool seeing him uh, in this right now. Yeah. And voiced tons of voiced Darth Maul pretty exclusively in the Rebels series. He did, and the Emperor. Mm-hmm. I think those two. So that, that, right. that's that's what's pretty much going on in my sci-fi world. Fantastic, fantastic, Dave. How about you? What's going on in your sci-fi world? I have been playing Star Trek Online ad nauseum <laughs> to the, to the uh, yeah yeah the annoyance of my family. Um, that's really been about it now since I've since we've gotten back home and. Finally got things popped back onto it. I've been nonstop on that just about every day. Yeah. Do you, uh, are you doing any, are you reading any novels? I know you listen to a lot. I'm still working on the same DS9 one that I was before with the little bit of time. I can actually listen to it at work now. And I've got the three new discovery, discovery ones on deck. Okay. And I'm looking forward to digging into them. Oh, very good. Very good. And, uh, Chrissy, how about you? What's going on in your sci-fi world? Well, um, with my concussion, I haven't been able to do too terribly much in terms of reading or um, gaming, but I did get to journey to Washington, D.C., and I actually got to go to the um, National History Museum of Air and Space, and down in the lobby, if people don't know this, is the actual um, Star Trek Enterprise from the original movies that they use the prop so i did get to go and see that so that was kind of my journey to mecca of that all, is awesome that is fantastic um, <laughs> i knew that was I there should, yeah i i should share it with you so you can post it to the page oh, you should see yeah. the I, wonder that it is actually you don't know um, this but i made you an admin on the sci-fi diner page so you could post it yourself oh i will have to do that after the show <laughs> um so that everyone can marvel at it because it's really cool of course. Um, and the other thing that I've been doing is I actually, in terms of more of it's less sci-fi, more geek, but I just recently started watching The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, okay. which, which is definitely not like the series that you would have watched, you know, as like a teenager. Well, if you were my age, teen, um, it's much, much more darker, kind of horror sort of. That's what I heard. That's what I well, heard. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely don't don't think that it's like the cute cat and the like teenage antics. Definitely not appropriate for for your children. Okay. <laughs> Very good. So, saving it for your teens. Yeah. yeah. I think Sabrina, teammate, teenage witch, got her start in the Archie comic book series. Oh, you might be right. Yes. Hmm. Yes, it was. It is from a comic. Yeah. Um, that they've translated into a show on Netflix. So that's actually what I was watching. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, my sci-fi world. Um, so I am almost caught up on Doctor Who. I'm watching the new Doctor Who with Kiefer, and Kiefer absolutely enjoys it. We, we do that together. Um, and so that's pr- probably the most current television I'm watching is that. And then other than that, I got to the gym a few times this past week. And at the gym, I watched, rewatched Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring because it's now streaming on Netflix, not the extended cut, the original cut. Um, and I realized how much is they cut out of the, the director's cuts to make the movies. So, uh, but I watched that. Um, and I watched it because, uh, Kiefer 
Bob and Miles. Uh, Bob is a, a parent of Miles, who is not not the Miles in the show, but Miles, my son's friend. Um, and we're all beginning to play Lord of the Rings online. So we're, we're kind of introducing them to their first MMO, and it's free to play, and it's a world that um, seems to be okay for, for them to kind of experience for their first MMO. And so we began to play that. And so as a result of it, because that's just not enough Lord of the Rings, I began to listen to Fellowship of the Ring again. So I'm getting it. I got it from three different fronts, you know, Lord of the Rings. Uh, but I used to, uh, a little story, I used to read Fellowship of the Ring, like, around every Christmas, I would begin and, like, just re reread the whole series. And I did that. This is my 13th time through Lord of the Rings. So the books, the book series. So it's had a huge impact, and it's been years since I've gone through it. So I thought, what the, why, why, why the heck not? Sure. So, so I am enjoying that. So that's what I'm reading. But along with it, so I'm reading that in my car because it's actually on CD. You know those things they used to print out a long time ago. Oh, CDs. Yeah, yeah CDs. You know, mm -hmm. How quaint, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, um, so I have that in my car, but I don't run with a disc man, right? So I. Uh, <laughs> Um, I listened to an audible. I'm listening to John Scalzi's Old Man's War. Um, oh, I've heard that book. Yeah, and it's good. I, this is the second book in the series, and I'm enjoying it. And uh, so I'm doing the two at the same time, depending on what I'm doing. Hmm. And uh, that's pretty much it in my geek world. So I think that's it. Yeah. That'll keep you busy for now. Oh, it is. It is enough for now. So let's talk Star Trek Contact. This is the real reason we're here, um, besides just hanging out with you beautiful people. Uh, so Star Trek First Contact, do you want to give us a quick summary of the movie, a little bit of the stats, and then let's leap into it? Sure. So the Borg travel back in time, intent on preventing Earth's first contact with an alien species. Captain Picard and his crew pursue them to ensure that Zephyr and Cochran makes his maiden flight reaching warp speed. And this was released um, November 22nd, 1996. Right. And so how did the, when it was released, how did the movie do when it first came out? Um, it, it, it did great. Um, estimated budget was uh, $45 million. I'm not sure what that would translate today, but that would probably be twice or more that I would guess. Um, but domestically, it made uh, over uh, $92 million. And foreign, um, another fifty-four million. So worldwide, hundred forty-six million and and some change. Um, so very respectable at the box office. Yeah, that's certainly not bad at all. Mm -hmm. Not bad at all. It, this was probably be probably. I, I think financially, this was the most successful next gen movie. Oh, it was. Yeah. So of the two more that we have, two more we're going to go through after it. This is the one that did the best. Yes, uh, critically and financially. All right. All right, so let's talk about um, – why don't we start off with where we first saw – well, let's talk about f thoughts. 
you know, watching it, what were your impressions going back to the movie? And then I think we can talk about maybe where do we first see the movie? Mm-hmm. And then we can kind of delve into what we liked about the movie and some of the meat in the movie. Yeah. So, uh, Dave, let's start with you. Uh, so rewatching again, what was it like going back and rewatching this film for you? You, you obviously had seen this movie many times before. And I know yet we had to twist your arm to like watch it again. But after you grudgingly said yes, what was it like going back? Oh, just as good as any other time I've gone back and watched it. I'll, How many times I'll do you think this- you've seen this movie? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> All I need to do is just start a scene, and I can go line for line through the majority of the movie. It's been a lot. Okay, it's been a lot. Probably more times than I'd be embarrassed to say. But it's been a lot, and I never gets it never gets old to me. So for you, it was Every like time, it was, it was, for you, it was like visiting a friend. It really is. Yeah, it really is. is. Good. Chrissy, how about for you? What was it like? You'd, I assume you saw this movie prior. I would have seen it like as a child. So it probably would have been like in my basement with like my dad, to mm. be honest. Um, mm. Would have been like where I would have seen it. So I had like very, very kind of Vague, more fuzzier yeah. memories. Vague so what, memories. What was it like going back again? Um, well, you definitely have a much greater appreciation for like plot, character development, and like psychologically what's all going on as an adult than you do as a <laughs> yeah. child, because they would say that it's a much more like more of a psychological movie because you have the you know the PTSD, the revenge, the psychological impact of having you know gone through trauma, right, and then having to still deal with that. Um, and kind of a crisis situation. So I had a greater appreciation one, because I'm an adult and two, because you know, my profession is that of a therapist. So it was much more interesting to me. Whereas I think as a child, I'm like, eh, I don't really care about the psych stuff. Like where's the explosions and the fun stuff. Right, right, right. Well, there was, there was some of that in there. Some of that in there. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've always liked the Borg for whatever weird reason, but Always found a very fascinating villainous race. Oh yeah, yeah. Is it is it your is it your favorite villainous race in Next Generation? I think it's my favorite villainous race in Star Trek. To be perfectly oh, honest, like wow. I really like I really find the Borg to be a very fascinating species. Oh, Dave, how about uh, you? What is this your fa- Is the Borg your favorite a villainous race? No. Okay. Well, who's your favorite villainous race in Star Trek? This is all. A- Diatribe. We'll get back to that though. Uh, who is your favorite? The Dominion. The Dominion by far. The Dominion. The Dominion. And how yes. about you, uh, Miles? Your favorite villainous race in Star Trek? I think I like the Cardassians as my favorite villainous race. Um, Chrissy, if you're looking for an interesting group of people to psychoanalyze, I think they would give you a field day. Um, they're they're very layered, very duplicitous. Um, I, uh, you know, so, so, just, I, I, some of the exchanges between, um, uh, uh, Cisco and, uh, Goltacott, um, the, the, the mental games they play against each other. Then you have a character like Garrick who, although he's kind of played as a good guy, sometimes he's not, um, I, I just think they're, they're just, 
they're 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 definitely you know I, I think the Borg are very interesting, but the Cardassians are very three dimensional. I think they in some ways represent us. Um, they're 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 a type of humanity in some ways, just but not the good part of humanity. So, I, th- I think what's fascinating about the Borg is that the Borg come off as a villain that is unstoppable. The Borg and, almost and, and like almost too much so. Like, how do you defeat uh, uh, an organization like this? Mm-hmm. And it's he, perhaps illustrated the best in in some of the scenes, even. I don't know, even from the movie, but where you see this tiny little starship going up against this big giant cube, and you're like, you're like, oh shit, yeah, you know, you know, it's like this is gonna, this is gonna suck for the Enterprise. Well, the, the Borg, you can't. I mean, roughly paraphrasing what Q said when they first met up with them, he goes, you can't. You know, they're not interested in diplomacy. Um, they don't care about your culture. The only thing they care about is your technology and what it could do for them. Um, there's no negotiating with them. It, you know, it's, um, you know, and Picard had to learn the hard way that first, that first encounter in dealing with, with the Borg is you, you can't, you can't reason with them. Um, all that stuff, it, it's irrelevant. Um, and I think they, you know, the Borg, you hear Borg sometimes say it, Whatever Starfleet is saying, it's irrelevant. Um, we're we're going to assimilate you, and you will be you, you will service us. So, right. um, so yeah. In, in my love for the Cardassians as villains, it's not as a put down on the Borg. I think you know, there's the Borg. Well, there are different types of villains. They're, yeah, they are. Um, I think the Borg almost kind of represent zombies in a way. I mean, um, Ooh. they. That's all. That's a whole other episode. Yeah, <laughs> talking about the Borg as yeah. zombies. <laughs> yeah, we we need to get into the Borg as villains. I think at some point, cause yeah. it's, it's almost a cautionary tale of what could happen when you merge a machine AI consciousness with like a human like race, and like what what could what terrible thing could that produce? You know, we aren't playing with that at all in society. So it, I don't know how relevant that is, Chrissy. I'm just saying. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very relevant. Yeah. I've heard social media is is another form of the Borg. Yeah, in some ways. Oh. Well, the hive the hive consciousness that sometimes happens in social media definitely. Oh, yeah. uh, and when people stop thinking for themselves, ooh, yeah, there's a whole another uh, whole another conversation there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's why I like the Borg so much is more because of the what it represents. Yeah. To humanity, as opposed to themselves. So. Right. So you know, you would say that. The potential for us to be unthinking like the Borg is a danger, whereas the Cardassians kind of represent the human side of us. But there's mm-hmm. this other side of us at tech. Well, tech yeah, does, and, yeah. And we, when we surrender our, you know, our ability or desire to think and have somebody think for us, mm-hmm. you know, have somebody, you know, we're listened to. Yeah. We're not being we're not trying to learn how to think we're just we want to, we want to know what to think you know it's interesting this is just, we're 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 on a tangent here it's all Chrissy, it's your fault uh but uh, it's fun though it's fun it's fun you know think about that even something as subtle as you know i get a i get an email message and gmail now has developed automated responses and uh some of them are pretty good where oh. they'll say like where they'll say like yeah, thanks. Uh, I'll get right back to it. I don't have to type anything. I don't have to think anything. I might have to add a few words to it, but boom, 
I just send the response right back. But but Gmail almost composes your reply for you. Uh, you it's have, great. You have to do very little on your own. I don't have to think. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Saves me so much time at work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yes, it does. So, uh, Miles, mm-hmm. what, when you first uh, – what was it like going back to this movie? It was a lot of fun. I was looking forward to seeing this. I, I enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, I, I saw it twice in the big theaters. I saw it a bunch more times at the cheap theaters. Um I think I seen it once or twice at Kendig and once or twice at the the York Cheap Theater. And then as soon as it became available on VHS, um I bought a copy or got it for Christmas or something. Um and I watched I mean I watched it many, many times. Um this this fueled my imagination for, for a while. Um I can even go back before when D Space Nine and Voyage were airing, they started playing trailers for the movie and I wanted to see what the new enterprise looked like so bad. And so I would just watch the trailer a few times just to get my little fix of it just before the movie came out. I was Jones <laughs> to see it so bad. Um, so yeah, uh, this, I, I love, you know, I really like this film and um, I, I really liked it when I first saw it 22 years ago and um, still, still, still really like it now. Yeah. So I, you know, I watched this movie about a, a month ago again, cause it's been, we were planning to record this episode three, four weeks ago, and then life happened as it sometimes does. And, um, but for me, I just really enjoyed going back. I've always liked the guy that plays Zechary Co- uh, Cochran, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who's the actor that does that again? I, um, I could look it up real quick. Um, I feel bad. Oh, so come on! You guys are like you guys should notice at the tip of your tongue. James Cromwell. Thank, Thank you, James Cromwell. Always like James Cromwell as an actor. And I love him in the role of Zechrin Co- Cochran, right? Mm-hmm. Is this drunk that doesn't really see much in himself and is trying to, you know, it's, he's a fascinating character for me. So for me, I remember this. I remember this uh, movie because of that. Um, we again have Star Trek playing with time travel. Miles, we were just talking about mm-hmm. time travel earlier tonight. Uh, but we have, you know, this idea of going back. I, I did enjoy this movie. Um, and I don't know when I first saw it. I probably didn't first see I probably first saw this movie only six, seven years ago. It wasn't that I, I did not see it when it came out. Definitely at all. But, and I know that Chrissy, you said you saw it in your father's basement. They went, do you remember where you first saw it? Oh, it would have been, gosh, it would have been at one of the theaters around here. I know I was 13 or so at the time. And it had to have been one of the theaters around here. I drug somebody out to, take me to it right yeah and then i remember getting it on vhs and i got the i went and searched and spent the actual like couple bucks and got the the special edition one with like this hologram like cover on the front (laughs) i think that's one i had yeah that's awesome do you still have that one or did you replace it with dvd no i got the dvd now yeah Yeah, the uh, director's cut version of that but I don't ever know what happened to that old tape. <laughs> Do you have anything to play that old tape on? No. You don't have a, you don't have a VCR anymore? Um, all right, I can so find th- one at work somewhere. There's plenty of sitting around. No, there are plenty, of, there are plenty uh, <laughs> around if you do need one because uh, stacking them somewhere at the school. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess let's uh, talk about what angle, uh, favorite parts. Hey, where, where, how do you want to take this? What do you well, think? 
I, I think we got th- this film. They got some very notable guest stars. We already talked about James Cromwell. Um, I think he did. He, he I think he won an Emmy Award that you know for for his part in, in the movie Babe. Um, but uh, they they have you know some other heavy hitters. They have Alfred Woodward who play who plays Lily. Um, she is huge now. She was big back then, but um, I, I know in, in listen to some interviews with um, uh, Jonathan Frakes. I mean, for him, it was a real coup to get Alfred Woodward to play uh, Lily. Uh, Alice Krieger, um, she, she's a, she's a big name. Um, you've seen him a lot of stuff now, but this is one of the first things I remember seeing him in. Um, he's one of the first red red shirts that get red shirted. Uh, Neil Neil McDonough. Uh, he's the pilot, um, but he has done a lot of stuff since then. And Robert Picardo p- plays a holographic doctor. He makes an appearance. And Ethan Phillips, he plays Neelix in Voyager, but he played the Mater D in the hologram uh, oh, in the holodeck scene. So okay, uh, they, they got some good good uh, guest stars uh, to play supporting roles in this in this film. That's right, they did, mm-hmm. they did. Well, I think one of the ways to start is you know revisiting this film is to talk about things that really stood out to us. The thing. The scenes, the characters, the music, whatever we want to talk about, things that really struck us. And so maybe we just want to start maybe sharing by one, and then we can kind of just roundtable it and just talk about some of the things that really stuck out to us that we really enjoyed. Does that sound good to you guys? Sure. All right. Dave, can I put yeah. you on first? Yeah. Um, I said one thing, Dave. Okay. <laughs> just, just to I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, the the biggest thing that really always comes to the front of my mind when I'm thinking about this movie is the is the battle back and forth between Lily and Picard in the was that whatever conference room where he's working on the rifle and she's trying to get him to blow up the ship and he wants nothing of it because he's so hell bent on on revenge and having his uh, Moby Dick moment. <laughs> it, it's Again, that, that that has always stuck out at me just because I always love, and I've said before, I always love the Picard-centric stuff like that. That getting behind the behind the mask, behind the uniform, the emotional human side of him, and this certainly did not disappoint. Very good, very good. I think one of my favorite moments has to be, you know, when the when they first do warp drive. You know, it's just like you're like because this is such a core. Th- way of travel throughout the Trekverse, right? And so to see like the advent of it and how that happened and you know, and then and then it leads to the Vulcans coming. You know, this whole that whole thing is from the mythos of Star Trek, for me when I rewatch and I'm like, this is cool because of how it plays into the larger mythos of Star Trek. Well they 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 rely on the continuity from the past to tell the story. Right. They do. And so the fact that warp drive is how we, is how the, how humans got it. And then the Vulcans, that was one of the things, you know, if they saw people with warp drive signature, although the Vulcans were on earth before that. Um, if you watch that episode of enterprise, right. So, enterprise, yep. we see that. So, mm-hmm. and they, that they were on earth way before that. But, um, but yeah, you have, uh, so that part's neat for me. Mm-hmm. That scene. And, I mean, they use a character that was referenced in the original series. They met Zephyr Cochran, different situation in the original series in the episode Metamorphosis. But so that was just, you know, I, I, 
the continuity that they rely on is great. Has Eckerd and Cochran, Cochran always been kind of the originator of warp drive? Yeah, that's who they mm-hmm. – for, for humans, yes. He's the one who invented warp drive for right, humans. Right, for humans. Yeah. yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Chrissy, how about for you? Uh, favorite moment, uh, actor? I, I would say that that is, that is probably my favorite moment too. So we're kind of on the same wavelength, but I think for a slightly different <laughs> – yeah. <laughs> Slightly different reason, um, because Cochran is this drunk. He, you know, earlier in the movie, we see him like pawing at, you know, women, and he's just, you know, he doesn't care. It's all about the money. And then you can see on his face when the Vulcans actually step down, even though he's been told, like, this is going to happen, like, you're going to meet aliens. He's like, I don't give a crap about that. You can see that that moment is a really pivotal changing moment you know that that self-actualization and even perhaps a drastic paradigm shift in his psychology of finding perhaps meaning so perhaps he's been stuck in this existential crisis for years on end with meaningless drunken nonsense and all of a sudden you know the universe shrinks down to that one moment you can see that this is a changed man and as a therapist i was like when i get to see that look on someone's face of massive change of like something you know a gear finally slipping into place and suddenly their life takes a different trajectory so right. that's why i liked it yeah the tie-in novel they 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 like they didn't mention this in the movie but in the tie-in novel they kind of suggested that he was bipolar and that's why he, he kind of was the way he was and do we see evidence of him being bipolar in the movie this is a question maybe for chrissy yeah <laughs> Oh, he didn't strike me as as bipolar, but I mean, you didn't stick around with him long enough to see him transition from his manic stage into a more sane stage. So he probably would have been in the self-destructive manic um, point, which makes sense because, you know, he would have been in the process of lots of creativity. But also when they have these big moments of genius and creativity, they're also as accompanied with a lot of self-destructive behaviors for the mania. Interesting. Interesting. It would fit. It would definitely yeah. fit. And, you know, uh, it, one of the things it makes me think of is, you know, you look at even the people that have invented great things. Like, I was thinking as you were talking, all right, it's, it's Zachary Cochran is the equivalent of the Wright brothers, you know, as sure. far as for flight goes. Mm-hmm. And what we know about the Wright brothers, at least what I know about the Wright brothers is, oh, they created flight and they're honored and esteemed for that. But the, there's this other side. There's a human side to them. Mm-hmm. And, and we as humans all have our different vices and crap that we deal with, right? We're complicated. And, and, um, and I mean, that's just the reality of it. And it's neat to see that they put this on that this reared Zechariah Cochran is not the idealized man that, you know, people have made him out to be. It's that expression don't meet your heroes or else they will disappoint you <laughs> yeah well, well I, I was gonna say like any time you go and look at it like a person from history who's been esteemed heroic i mean even our most i mean esteemed people that i can think of off the top of my head like gandhi you know was a terrible misogynist was terrible to his wife but you know that doesn't necessarily negate what he did well, right. you know, in terms of the good that he did so you know, any person to borrow a term from, you know, politics or whatever, it's problematic. So, yeah, I, would, yeah, I do like that human piece of it. Right. Yeah. And I think I, I think both of what you're saying is true. I mean, people are 
human and we're a product of our cultures. We're a product of the way we grew up. We're, we're, we're hopefully growing and becoming better as human beings, but we all have our own, uh, own crap that we're dealing with. That's mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah. So anyways, you know, I, I do like him as a character as he, as he's, uh, as he's playing in, you, you mentioned prior to the show and I thought it's important to bring up that he does come off. And, and I think miles, you mentioned that, this scene, that scene uh, where he's actually pawing at women doesn't translate very well. Do you want to talk a little bit more? So the, um, there's a scene in the movie uh, where Riker is getting a report from Deanna Troy. Uh, Deanna Troy is – there's an old expression. She's been in her cups or whatever it is. She's drunk, um, and she and she is hilarious. This is some really good acting from Marina Sirtis. Um, she has a great comedian. Or was she acting? No, well, you know what? I, <laughs> no. I don't know. No, that's true. But uh, if if but if she was acting, it was brilliant. But there's a line in there that um, when it said it's kind of played for laughs, just that haha, Cochran is a you know, he, you know he's a dirty old man, he's a perv or whatever. Well, if we were making that movie today or within the last couple of years, we would have if we would have put that material in, we would have presented it differently, just saying, yeah, I've had to keep Cochran, you know. Cochran's middle too handsy. Um, uh, we're a little more. It, it's just sort of interesting where we look at where we were in '96 and where we look at where we are in 2018. And um, yeah, 20 years later, the meet with the Me Too movement under mm-hmm. our belt. Yeah, that, there, there's you know there's there's that kind of behavior we, we find that unacceptable, and right. it's um, uh, when when it does happen, um, it's it's treated differently. It's I mean um, and. So just, just it's it's. I'm not saying we should censor it. I'm not saying don't see the movie. It's just you know when we're watching something, it, we were in a different place in 1996 than we right. are now, and right. we take something like that a lot more seriously, and that kind of thing. Well, I think different. we I think we acknowledge a change that has happened in our culture, but this is one of the things that you don't go back and redo the movie just because of that. No, you don't and take you, the line and you, out. And you, and, you, and you understand that in that time and place, it was acceptable to do that sort of thing. Not necessarily good, mm-hmm. but society was more tolerant of that sort of thing than it is now. Yes. And, um, yeah, that's, 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 that, that's the only way I want to address that is just that, um, you know, it's, uh, we're not saying that behavior is acceptable, but we're not saying we don't censor it. We don't take the line of that movie. It's, it's there. We should really have the woman on our team kind of comment on this. I, I would love to hear her Chrissy, perspective. Chrissy, do you have any thoughts on this? Well, like even though it was, it was in the movie from 1996 was was played for laughs, like it's still um I think sometimes women will will use humor as kind of a way of speaking to things that we don't necessarily feel like it's going to be heard so sometimes we'll, we'll be like that it's like this guy's really on me right now guys and you know they kind of make it funny but the women all know like yeah we're gonna protect you and take you over here now and like tell, like and everyone you know kind of gets the message of this guy's handsy you all stay away from him so you know that that is something that we will sometimes use humor as a way of communicating if we don't feel like it's going to be necessarily hurt by the guys, but at least we'll be hurt by the other women. Um, and even watching it, like, yeah, it was played for last, but, you know, that to me made him a character of, of a flaw. It was a character flaw for me. Right. More definitely. Like, he's yeah. like, oh, he's a pervert and 
yeah, he, he seems to think that because he's this big scientist or whatever, that everyone like bows down to him, that he can just, you know, have per- blank, blanket permission to be touching women, which, you know, at that point you take out your pepper spray and you spray him and he'd be like, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what she should have done. Pepper spray. <laughs> yes. She should have taken her phaser and stunned him. <laughs> yes. Yes. At your phaser and be like, no, down boy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he'd have been down boy with a phaser stun, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, but I also understand not wanting to do that because then, you know, you risk the timeline thing. So so right, there's right. that. That's true. They aren't supposed to be messing with the timeline they are anyways. Right. Well, yeah, the Borg, so I guess I the guess Borg were too. But. They have to repair. I mean, it's already messed up because the Borg attacked this, this settlement and damaged uh, Cochrane's uh, ship. So they have to. The crew of the Enterprise well, have no choice but to intervene and inform right. Cochrane of things that he wouldn't have known otherwise, but to repair the timeline which, as best well, as they can. Yeah. yeah which, at, at risk of going off into a totally another tangent, um, I do think that sometimes in plots you'll see women being kind of confronted with this thing of they have to endure these you know, unwanted, uncomfortable experiences in order to see that a mission is completed that usually isn't you know, those subplots you don't really ever see with, with men. So I think if it were played today, that may have been something that she would have struggled with of like, do I assert my boundaries with this guy, but then disrupt the timeline? Or, you know, what what do I like, you know, is that something that a woman should be expected to sacrifice for, for the good of a mission? So I definitely think that that would have been something that perhaps would have been explored had they done it today. That That's interesting because I, uh, and would have, would have, would have Cochrane been confronted with it? You know, would they would they have dressed Cochrane that just because he's historical, would they have actually approached him at the risk of changing the timeline? Well, know. and and you know, being a more advanced culture, you know, that probably wouldn't have been accepted. They would have been like, This is a totally archaic thing, like you can't be doing that. Like I think that the men would have also been it wouldn't have been a laughter thing. They would have probably been offended too. Kind of like, you know, if we hear someone saying like a racial slur to someone, we're like, excuse me, what did you just say? I don't think so. Right. But so that, that also makes me wonder about that sort of thing. Were, were any of the, and I forget the, I remember the scene, but were any of the crew of the enterprise around when that was happening or was it just her and Cochran? I, I, I got that. It was just her and Cochran. I mean, she had agreed to, have some drinks with him, and um, not not the you know the hard stuff too. I mean the tequila. Uh, so um, yeah, that, it was just her and Cochrane uh, at the time. Hmm. That's what that, that that's what I got out of it. Hmm. Well, I, w- I meant I wasn't sure if like if Riker would have been like, "What what are you doing? You can't be doing that to my crewmate," like or to her. Right, right. Well, that's so. why if you would put the crew of the Enterprise, how would they have reacted? We don't know. Mm-hmm. But- but that, that's a great question, though. That is definitely good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely good. How do we get on that tangent? Oh, you were talking about that scene. We were talking about that scene anyway. So. <laughs> it's just that one yeah. scene just doesn't necessarily age yeah, well. Yeah, doesn't most age of the, well. Most of the movie does, except that one scene. Yeah, yeah. So other other favorite parts, things that you loved about this movie that for you and maybe for others that are listening made this such a good movie? I think um, – I'll pick one. I have many, <laughs> but okay. um, Dave, we're coming to you next. The the, the beginning <laughs> of the movie, um, you have this this soundtrack playing. I I, I bought the soundtrack and I got Jerry many, Goldsmith. Many hours of you know 
listening entertainment from it. Um, it's a beautiful piece of music, the whole th- that 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 main piece of music they use. But um, you know, you just see the they roll the credits. It's in this blue fog, and then you somehow with the camera angle they come out of Picard's eye. He's wearing his uniform that we saw in the TV series, and he you know he's in a Borg. Uh, Regeneration alcove or whatever, and it just keeps getting, it keeps getting away from him, and you just see how big the inside of this Borg ship is, um, like you've never saw before. I mean, this is good use of, of um, a movie budget, the technology, the time. It's just this incredible ship, and then he, and then you see him that they're starting to assimilate him, put Borg pieces on him, and just as Ray put this thing through his eye, he wakes up. And um, you realize there's trauma. He's 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 reliving this, and then but he's still dreaming because then a a Borg uh, apparatus comes out of his face. He wakes up again, and then gosh, uh, I hate those dreams. Yeah, (laughs) they're the worst. It's a horrible dream, (laughs) but to me, it sucks. It sucks you right in. Yeah, and to me, I mean, we talked about Picard's state of mind. I think this this. We, we we get a glimpse of his state of mind right at the beginning. I mean, they just hit the ground running with this. Um, and then um, the Admiral calls him and tells him what's going on. He goes, yeah, I know, the Borg. And then – but just the opening. The, the opening, the whole thing with that I thought was – I mean incredible. it is It is a beautiful opening sequence, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. It introduces this idea of Picard dealing with the PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that it does is this is Picard. This is a love letter. This is true. I think I was talking to you, Dave, about it, that, that, that this movie is a love letter, letter to people, the fans of the series, because they know the interaction that the Enterprise crew was having with the Borg and just fit right into that. And so, I mean, if you didn't know the Borg, this opening sequence would mean a lot less than if you watched a series of Next Generation. I think it also does. For anybody who is, we ask sometimes with the, some of these movies, do you have to be a fan? Do you have to be familiar with the with the things that came before to enjoy this? And uh, I, I think, I mean, they, they, in that opening scene, they do some exposition as, as you see who the who the bad guys are, who the antagonists are right away. Right, you, you see them walking around in Picard Stream, and they're. There are these scary looking guys, you know, yeah. white faces and, um, you know, uh, these, these cybernetic people. That, cybernetic zombies, as yeah. Chrissy said. Um, so, so that's one of my, just, just, I, I think that with the opening scene, they tell you, they tell you what's going on with Picard. They tell you a lot about these villains that he and the crew of the Enterprise are going to face in a little while. Um, and, um, just, just do it very dramatically. Right. So we mentioned earlier about Picard and his PTSD, right? Mm-hmm. Mentioning that uh, as a resident uh, <laughs> psychologist here, uh, what, uh, what do you, uh, how do you see the PTSD and the wrestling of that in this movie for Picard, Chrissy? Well, first off, there, there's a classic PTSD of the flashbacks or the nightmares, which you see right away. But then also you see a lot of emotional, what we call dysregulation, where Picard is having kind of um, what we would say incongruent or disproportionate emotional reactions to what's going on around him. 
Um, so normally where we see him calm and collected under stress, you know, he, he's cracking under it. Right. And what we're seeing is an inability to cope with, with what it would be. I mean, yeah, obviously having your ship invaded isn't too, um, normal, but typically we see that Picard in the series is able to handle that. Like he's, he's trained, he knows what to do, but now, you know, that facade is, is crumbling. He's not able to make rational decisions. He's now making decisions out of fear, out of not wanting that to happen again. He, you know, becomes, I guess he's captain. He should be in control, but you see a lot of like controlling behaviors that aren't appropriate to be controlling of, of his ship and his crew. And, you know, you don't question me. You don't tell me and you're all just going to listen to what I say. And I don't care whether this plan sounds insane or not. You're just going to do it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, sir. If I say jump, you ask house. Hi, sir. Very uncharacteristic of Picard. So you'll see like kind of almost like a personality shift. You'll see the flashbacks and a lot of that just not able to cope, dysregulation. Truly, PTSD is what happens when someone almost gets stuck in a traumatic event where they're not able to move forward from it. And that's kind of what we're seeing with Picard, where he gets stuck. And his solution to get himself unstuck is that revenge, which, you know, if, you know, you are having those sorts of things is not, not a healthy way to get past the PTSD. Right, right. And in the end, do we see him kind of come out the other side of the PTSD or not really? Do we see him wrestle? Well, well, in in movies, you know, PTSD is is very like, oh, we just had this one little cathartic thing and magic happens. You no longer (laughs) have it. PTSD is unfortunately, you know, um, something that has to be ongoing and takes a lot of years to to really move past the trauma. And, we don't have you know, years in the movie, be... that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So right. like they're they're not gonna cover that in a movie. Right. But um I, I would say that we see him take one step towards recovery in the process, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. In talking about I mean I, I yeah, I don't think Picard necessarily recovers completely from this, but he needs a second party uh Lily to you know confront him with that his course of action is the wrong course of action and she is she's successful in, in i mean that's in that scene in in the in in the um conference room um she uses a, the literary reference of uh of Moby Dick and uh he has to get his whale um for whatever reason that i got that it sort of snapped him snapped him out of it a little bit, or at least he could see, okay, I am making, you know, I'm the, the, the decisions I'm making are to try to, to preserve the enterprise is the wrong way to go. I, what I should do is I can, yes, I will lose the enterprise. Yes. I will strand myself and my crew on 21st century earth. And, um, but I can stop the Borg. I can, with, with destroying the enterprise and I could still save first contact and basically save history. That's the best. That's the best course of action to take. Right. Um, so he he's about to do that, um, but we'll get to this later. But he yeah. But he's thwarted by it. But that that that's what I got is that she's kind of you know she was successful at least convincing him. Okay, I'm making the wrong decision. I'm making a wrong decision here, and I'm also alienating a a good friend of mine um, by calling him a coward uh, when he called Worf a coward. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, 
Dave's uh, laughing at the scene here. And, and, and sending my <laughs> sending my men to their death or their assimilation by having them to, to continue to try to fight the Borg. Um, if that doesn't come up, then we're, we may be in trouble. So that they, so Absolutely. that's what I mean. Lily Lily serves is to kind of help bring take, take, I don't know talk Picard off the ledge. I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, Chrissy, uh, just one more thought on that. Is this uh, is it typical that with people dealing with PTSD that they often need this outside party to help them get past, or are some people able to walk past this by themselves? Freaking hate those anyway. Um, you know, or both. I get the light. To, to be honest, I don't encounter right. the people yeah. that are able to walk by it themselves because right. if they're able to do it, they don't All need right. to come they and see me. They don't need to come and see you, right? <laughs> they don't need to come see me. Um, but, you know, even I think people who, who don't see a therapist, often they have, like, a family member outside of themselves who are able to ground them in the present. Or a friend. And kind of, yeah. Yeah, or a friend. Like, it's a yeah. family member, a friend, a mentor, Whoa. someone who's able to come outside of them and just what? say, hey, you're not there anymore. Hey. You're in this Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Peter Kalamis. You may know me from Stargate Universe. And you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Right. You know, and that's kind of what she's doing right now. Is She's saying, like, hey, snap out of it. You're not back at whatever crazy thing happened to you. You're dealing with now, the present, and we have to make the decisions based on what's happening now, not what happened then. And right. this, you know, revenge isn't going to help right. the situation. Right. And that's God. really what a lot of times people need to hear is what what's not helping them and how to help move them past that right right very good dave i put you in hold long enough here what uh we were talking about um scene that really stuck out to you i i like the the final temptation of data when uh the board queen starts to make him look like the guy from the phantom of the opera Uh (laughs) giving him the uh you know, giving him the temptation of, of, you know, he's got the emotion thing going for him. He's on his way to becoming human. Now she's actually giving him flesh and the sensations of having flesh and really tempting him to, to turn tail on Picard. And now for a brief moment, you actually think he did. He but, did look evil when he was in that pool. That, that, that <laughs> He really did. It was awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Data, like Data, had a good story arc. I thought in this. Yeah, much better than Generations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, again, I was bothered by Data. The beginning emotion ship. They're on that ship, and I don't know. It, it, it did bother me. You, okay, so it, you weren't satisfied with the, uh, the, 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 the? I think it's the introduction to it mm-hmm. that the, the and then it malfunctions and you know that whole thing. Right. It bothered me. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. No, it's fine. No, it's okay. <laughs> but he had a good a story, good story. All right, quick. Go ahead, Dave. I, I did find the corniest thing in that whole movie was Picard's apology to Worf. It, it, <laughs> the more I watch it, the more all I hear is, gee, Worf, you're the bravest guy I know. <laughs> and it, just, it, it just doesn't quite... I don't know. Something just doesn't sit with me with it. I just find it very corny, but funny. I did like, though, he goes up to Worf and goes, I, I need to apologize for some of the things I said to you. And some. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I almost think they've – Picard's got to kind of bust his balls a little bit 
because they're friends, <laughs> they're, you know, they're colleagues, you know, it's, you know, this is okay. Yeah. I've been an asshole, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to make it right. So I'm going to apologize for some of the, I, I, I said some things I shouldn't have said. I, I, so and, I of course good. he can't get away. Yeah. He can't get away from it with Riker busting his chops. As soon as he gets on the ship, you do remember how to fire phasers. Yeah. That was, <laughs> <He> just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a funny one. Yeah. From a production standpoint, I liked this is the one next generation movie moving forward that I liked bringing Worf back to with the Enterprise crew. It made sense. He's in the, he's commanding oh, yeah. the Defiant. He's fighting the Borg with the rest of rest of the Starfleet uh ships and they're playing the old Klingon music from the motion picture for his entrance. It it, it sounds great. Oh, see, I didn't even pick that up. Yeah. It, it was, <laughs> oh, so this yeah. good use of that music from you know that we're familiar with uh, that the, the Klingon theme, and Worf thinks, okay, this is my, we'll go out in the blaze of glory this time, and you see, you know, so we, we get to see the Defiant from Deep Space Nine. I thought it was good use of seeing something if we're Star Trek fans, something we're familiar with. Um, you know, fighting the good fight, and uh, um, but the Enterprise rescuing him and the rest of the crew, and then him incorporating incorporated the crew while they're dealing with the Borg threat. I thought was for stor- storytelling. I thought worked. And you said this was the Defiant he was on. He was on the Defiant. Yeah, that's the that, that and that's the ship we see on the on Deep Space Nine. Right, right, right. Well, very cool. Um, yeah. I forgot that he was no longer part of. Yeah, at this point, he would have been on D Space Nine probably for about a little over a year at this year point. At this point, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, so you mentioned the music for his music. This is an incredible score overall, as we mentioned prior. Um, Jonathan Frakes' directorial debut, and you liked his directorial debut. I think he should that. Um, he he'll direct one more, the next the next film, but he will not direct the one after that. And I think they should have used him direct all of them. I, he knows what he's doing. He, he he's you know he he directed the episodes from from Next Gen. I thought very well. I don't know if he did D Space Nine or Voyager, Dave. Maybe you know. Um, but um, I thought he did an episode or two at DS Nine, but I can't. We'll have to check it sometime. If only there was a device that we could look up and find out this information. An instant source of information. That's right. That's right. That's right. But 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 (laughs) but for for the movie, yeah. He so he did. He he had double duty as as uh, he starred in the film, and um, he was uh, he he directed this film. I thought, um, and he you know some of these cast choice for the supporting characters were were his. um, I thought Alfre Woodward was was fantastic as Lily. He he said in interviews. She like adopted him as his, as her godson, even though they're they're age wise they're not that different. But just they have a very deep abiding friendship, and uh, uh, um, so. Uh, but yeah, um, perfect choice for a director for this film. I thought. Yeah, very good. Very three good. episodes of DS Nine and three episodes of Voyager. There you go. So and and he's been directing. He, he's directed a couple episodes for Discovery. And the other Star yep. Trek show, uh, The Orville. The Orville. That's right. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. So, um, 
What else? There's a this this show. This movie introduced some new stuff into the Star Trek franchise, right? Yeah. So we got a new Enterprise. That's probably the biggest thing we got uh, because we lost the Enterprise D in the last film. Uh, I, I, Dave, I don't. What do you think? I I, I like the Enterprise E. Uh, we only ever saw it in the movies. I think that it was done purposely because just to keep it special. But um, I thought yeah. this this ship was a worthy successor of the of the Enterprise D. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think the the bridge oh, yeah. is gorgeous. I think the the um, engineering. It, I forget how many stories high this thing went. I mean, that they said, okay, we, we're we're going to make what for a movie. We have a we have movie budget money. Uh, I thought it was well spent. Um, they did borrow the sick bay um, from Voyager and, and a few other sets from Voyager, which which makes sense. Um, but yeah, we also got the new uniforms. I think the new uniforms in this are gorgeous. They, they we'll see these uniforms um, mm-hmm. moving forward in in in, in, in next gen movies and 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 the and in D Space Nine. We'll see them sometimes in, in Voyager, but they still they because they're out in the Delta Quadrant. They're using the the the, the older uniforms. Right. Right. Um, we we see new starships in the battle. It's not a long battle scene. Um, but they have much. Is that the opening battle scene? Yeah, with the Borg ship. Yeah. And they're, they're all CGI, if I'm, um, if I'm not mistaken. And we'll see these ships in, in, in the subsequent Star Trek series. Uh, the Borg cube is new. I thought, and, and that Borg sphere I thought was pretty cool. Um, we, we get, uh, Jordy doesn't need a visor anymore. He had, you know, he, these implants in his eyes. Um, I think I think he I think he really wanted it because he can never express when he was acting he never could use his eyes because his eyes were always covered by that thing. Right. Uh, the character of the Borg Queen, controversial choice by many Star Trek fans. They like the idea of the Borg being a uh, what was the right word um, uh, a hive hive species, but I, I think she's a great character, great villain, and she ma- she makes sense to me. So. So yeah, that, those are new things I, I observed in this uh, film. All right, and Jordy's ocular implants. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. we get to see them in action. When I do miss his visor. You do? I like the visor. Mm-hmm. It's just Jordy. It it it, it, it does it does it, it makes it does make him it does yeah. set him apart. Yeah, yeah. So um, we're about at time here, but what? Uh, anything else? Anyone here wants to say about the movies or about the episode, about the movie itself? Dave, Chrissy, Miles. Oh, I think we could talk about another hour, but we won't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, well, <what> do you- <laughs> I don't think anybody else uh, has the time, but, but I, I right. think it asks an interesting question. I mean, if if we discover if you know. I mean, we, we've explored in science fiction. If, if we meet, if we discover and meet the other races out there, what will that do to humanity? Star Trek has a very optimistic view that if these benevolent group of aliens reach out to us and want to establish a relationship, what will that do to humanity? We'll, we'll bring out our best, which Star Trek says it will. Um, they say it'll turn things around, um, thing, thing, you know, Things like war, poverty, uh, you know, we'll come together, you know, because we discover we're not alone. I, lo- I would love to believe that. I think it's, you know. I, how, so how do you really feel about that? If that were to really happen, Miles, and we were to, and I'm going to ask Chrissy and Dave, you can ask the same question to you guys here, but if aliens showed up, would they get the same reception? 
I, I think it would get some get a lot of positive reception, but I think there would be a side that would uh, um, react very badly to that. Um, um, I think maybe how they were, you know, in that episode of Enterprise where they kind of, when the Vulcans come to Earth and Zephyr and Cochrane and the humans kill the Vulcans and take the ship. I mean, I think there'll be, there'll be a, there'll be a group of people that would be, be likely to do that. Right. Uh, if they could, if they could. Uh, yeah. Right. So Chrissy, what do you think? How, how, how are we as humans? Are we going to react when first contacts made? If it's ever made? Oh, well, I mean, part of me wants to join Star Trek in the optimism. Um, but I also even think of like how, how we as a race would interact with another alien race. And, you know, we, we have people among us who aren't neurotypical that they say, you know, people who are, who wired a little bit differently and the way that we even treat and interact with them can be kind of heartbreaking in a way. And I'm like, man, if we're not even able to do that with people who are just a little bit different from us in this sort of a neurological, psychological base, like how would we ever manage to bridge the gap between an alien race who's even benevolent? So, I mean, I guess in a way it would reunite us all in hating them. Um, right. But, so, like, that's, that's where I'm like, man, would, would we be able to come together and then extend to them kind of the ideal listic of, of allies um i think that there would always be a group of people who would probably be really bigoted and hate them and fearful of them you know that it just seems like that almost natural part of humanity is very tribalistic yeah. which is which is has its pluses and minuses which i won't go into because like i could give you know a 10-hour lecture on that right um, <laughs> but, but i but i won't so like I think that I, I probably hear more than a little bit of Miles' pessimism, and I'm not sure that we would reach that point where we stop using currency and it's all about, you know, bettering the individual self to the best possible thing. I think they would find some other way of fighting out for prestige and dominance. So right, right. But that that's kind of where I am. Is a little like I want to be optimistic, but I'm a little bit pessimistic. Right, right, right. Dave, how about you? How do you uh, how do you think this is going to work for us if we ever have this? Depends who they reveal themselves to. Okay. I, I think the individual person is only going to react as a measure of, of their own life experience and what they know. That's well put. They're either going to freak. They're either going to freak out or they're going to embrace it wholeheartedly. The problem then becomes. Once governments of the world realize that there is something more powerful than them out there, and now there is this point where people are going to start clamoring for people to come together, that they lose their foothold and their grip on their own personal power. And that is where I believe the problem would really start to originate. They'd start to make them out to be some giant enemy. They would go to war and for the sake of protecting us from this off-world threat. And you would get what you get. Right. The Terran Empire? I don't know. But, <laughs> right. You know, there may be a bearded Spock in our future somewhere. <laughs> but yeah. it, it, it would, reaction would be each according to their own, their own beliefs. I mean, 
religion would be thrown in many ways on its head. I mean, just even arguing with my grandfather years ago about the possibility of there being life out there. And he was a very staunch religious person. And I just made the simple argument. Seems like an awful waste of space. Uh Just threw him for a loop. So it, it would all, it would be interesting. Yeah, there's, there, there, there's, there, there, there's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. You know, and I think you, you throw in, we talked about hive mind earlier, but, you know, it, it would depend too how, uh, how we would view it in social media. There's a, there's a, there's a power in that. If that were to happen like tomorrow, how would that be painted? And, and, and how would it, it would depend maybe a little bit on the creatures or beings that we would, we would encounter. Um, I too agree with Christian Miles that I would like to believe. I would like to believe in the best of humanity, but we as humanity we're very broken people, and that means that. And again, we're products of our upbringings, of our social networks, and uh, not all of us have had the you know, or hopefully growing forward. But there are people that have grown up in some pretty dark places and. How do you react and perceive something that is very alien and threatening to you? That's going to be difficult for some people to get over. Hmm. And, um, and I think that that's a, uh, that, that, that's somewhat problematic. This is an issue. I mean, so Star Trek's obviously wrestling with this a little bit here. Uh, but this is not a new topic to science fiction. We've had many, many stories, both of, People that, you know, aliens coming to destroy the earth, aliens coming to, you know, be friendly with the earth and, and everything in between. And that's kind of part of the science fiction tropes that we sometimes see. Yeah, it's it's a fun ever, exploration. Yeah. Chrissy? Ever since you mentioned, like, you know, what, what would it be on social media, I'm just picturing a whole bunch of people, like, taking selfies with Vulcans now. Oh, like, yeah. This very- I yeah, was selfie. Like- <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> like- Taking your cell phone, you're like, you know, the alien lands, and you have to like immediately, like, what would someone do? Like, would that be like what a millennial would do? Would go up and be like, oh my gosh, like, here, I had to put you on like my Instagram tag. The president, look, yeah, an yes. alien came. Can, can you hold Hashtag this cat? So- LOP. Yeah. <laughs> can, can, can oh you, my can gosh, you hold- it's trending on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> can you hold this cat? I want to film a cat video with you. <laughs> oh my gosh, a little cat with a Vulcan. Yeah. Oh, that, that, that is happening. That that would that would be it. That would be it. And we would think somehow we've arrived. And they're trying to broker yeah. they're trying to broker galactic peace and here we are shooting selfies with them. But, but what if our first contact is more with someone like the Ferengi? I think they would fit right in with our capitalistic society. <laughs> they would love to be trending on YouTube, provided they got part of the advertising sales. So, like, yeah, take a profit from it. Uh, the Ferengi yeah. would be be down with that. Yeah. You know, they used to be like you know in awe of Wall Street, but would they like Wall Street better or Silicon Valley? I'm not sure. I don't know. It depends where the money is. Uh, they definitely well, like Vegas. Yes. So if a Frankie comes here, we're taking selfies, YouTube, they're going to be on, uh, they have to be on the Today Show, right? Absolutely. Maybe, maybe interview with Oprah, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is Oprah even on anymore? I don't know. Maybe. I don't think Oprah's on anymore. You, you got to wonder if, in our government, if, um, 
there there's a group or a think tank of okay you know you know we, we, we have SETI so we actually have something that's trying to see you know see if there's anything see if there's anybody out there if there's a think tank of like okay what if what do we do now I mean how you know how you know if if, if a alien race did come to earth and reached out to us how, you know what, what maybe trying to come with a protocol how to handle that and uh, interact with you know, or just, I'm sure the government has something you know just you know just Space you know, just just to think of okay you know if, if if you know is this race benevolent or you know or even thinking okay what would happen if we were invaded I mean um, isn't too much we could, if, they, if an alien race can make it to Earth I mean it probably isn't too much we could do but um, but you, you, you got to think there's, there's got to be some people who are paid to 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 think and ask those questions and maybe try to come up with some answers. Space Force. <laughs> well, now maybe we know uh, you talk about SETI. SETI is often the way it's presented in pop media and everything is often re- painted as being very kooky mm-hmm. and uh, being very. Uh, and was ridiculed and kind of demeaned in some ways. I'm not sure that you know, that's the way it's viewed in the scientific community, but I know that we kind of view SETI as being kind of, you know, fringe. Right. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's kind of almost it's almost a dismissed science. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe that, maybe that, too, is telling of how we feel about alien races. Well, uh, wasn't there like that? thing that they thought may have been like an alien structure what does it start with an o uh that they recently found like wandering the outskirts of our solar yeah, system and when you looked at the rock it looked like a ship of once you know that's like sh- that's what i'm talking yeah, about yeah yeah i know exactly that. what you're talking about it ended up being nothing but a rock i think yeah but then they also have that star that has like a mysterious um like cause what they do is they to find planets they look at like the stars fading as like planets pass in front of them right and there's like one that has like a weird light and they think that it might be like an alien mega structure around the star so that's yeah, a, who knows who knows so you know like in, like you know it's an awful yeah. waste of it's an awful waste of space so yeah. great line from contact yes so. All right. Well, that's. I think we talked about this movie. There's again, Miles. You said there's a lot we could talk about. Is there anything that you're dying to talk about before we go, or or Dave or Chrissy? Anything you guys are dying to talk about? Uh, I guess just I'll tell you what I. Th- I mean, again, what I thought about it. Um, I love this movie. If it, it you know, I, I easily wa- pop it in, watch it again. Um, I think it's very Star Trek Next Generation. As far, as far as the themes explored, um, trying, you know, there, there's, you know, you know we, would, we would take too too much time to talk about you know certain scenes, but um, well, I'll talk about one scene. Uh, the 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 spacewalk. I thought because they they, they they had the the budget and technology to film a good spacewalk. Uh, with Picard, Worf, and uh, Lieutenant Hawk, um, when they're going after the Borg on the uh, main av- main deflector dish, uh, gave you an idea of the scope, of the size of the ship, and just I thought it was a very beautiful scene. Even though these guys are going to end up in a in a firefight with the Borg, 
Um, just just visually, production value wise, uh, I thought that was an incredible scene. A little funny with Worf getting a, a space motion sickness and having to, um, you know, control the, uh, those reactions. Uh, made for a little bit of comedy there, um, and we we saw Lieutenant Hawk get red shirted as the as a. Um, he's assimilated by the Borg and Worf has to take him out. Worf has one of the best lines in this film. I love uh, where um, uh, he, he takes out Hawk and then they, they're able to send that piece of the deflector dish out into space. And Worf says, With, assimilate this. I, I thought that was, I thought that was great. I was <laughs> like, yeah, I was just, you know, Worf at his best, uh, you know, stick it, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> kicking ass and taking names uh, out in space. Yeah. Yeah. Is this a movie for you that you would you could recommend someone to watch who maybe would is not a Star Trek fan? Um, if they have if they have maybe a little bit of interest in sci fi and you know maybe, maybe if if they're kind of a if they if they if they're kind of a deep thinker. Um, yeah, I think it would. I think they do enough exposition. I don't. I, it helps to know what what came before, but I think somebody watching it um, cold um, could still enjoy this movie. All right, all right. So, Dave, your thoughts in this movie? Uh, do you, you're going to go back and watch it again? I mean, you have the thing memorized. Yes, yes <laughs> I will go back and watch it again and again and again. <sighs> I don't know. It is. It's always been one of my favorites. Um, is it one of your top? Is it one of your top three? Oh yes. Oh yes. Um, Dave, if you haven't it, watched it with the Akuda commentary, uh, you, you ought to, it'll um, it, it'll enhance your your viewing experience. I I didn't give my plug for the Akuda gonna, commentary. I am not to do that. I I've got to start doing that a little bit more now too. From everything you've that you've been saying about the the Akuda commentaries, and after getting to meet them, I really want to get to start watching it with those commentaries on. Um, I, I, I felt this this movie was a good blend of a nice space sci fi action movie, while also dealing with a lot of the more intellectual, thought provoking issues that Trek is is historically done so well. Right. And you're right. Uh, I, it does. It does blend both of those pretty well. Yeah. And they shouldn't have killed off Lieutenant Hawk. I like that character. He actually had a name. <laughs> you know. Well, I'm sorry. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. No. I know. He gets a great death scene. <laughs> he does. He does. I'll mm-hmm. give it that. Mm-hmm. I'll give him that. Yeah. So, Chris, great movie. Yeah, Chrissy, your final thoughts. It was a it was a really good movie. Um, it's probably not one that I would like rewatch and rewatch. No offense. Um, but I. Well, that's all right. Each 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 their own, right? Well, it, it's one of those things where anymore, like, there's just so much out there that I tend not to reread and rewatch things, just because, you know, I want new experiences. Unless there's a really kind of a, another like a theme that comes up in something else and they go oh wait a minute that was in this other book or this other film and maybe i want to go back and like look at it or re-examine it a little bit more i tend not to right. re-watch movies unless of course it's 
something that like I I grew up rewatching over and over right, again. Right. Um, but no, like Star Trek really does a really good job of blending that science fiction and a little bit more of those intellectual themes, which I know a lot of people be like, oh, well, it's so campy, so like they wouldn't expect that. But that's something that I really think they did did well. Well, I know that one of the things that I appreciate just dialoguing with you guys here, and I think dialoguing, Chrissy, with you, especially as a psychologist, we always bring in the psychological view, and that's 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 neat. It brings in a depth to our discussion, but also helps us look at the uh, movies maybe in a little bit different light. So I appreciate that. So, You're welcome. Yeah. So I always like to – and, and, you know, it, it helps us look at the uh, – Helps us capture some of the depth of the characters. I know we did that with one of the other movies too, and the uh, the struggle that it captured. And I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, me too. This is an this is an enjoyable movie. I don't know that it makes my top three, but I did enjoy it, and um, it'll be interesting to see how I feel about this movie. Looking at the next two next gen movies that we have coming up. Um, what is the next movie in the docket? What's movie nine? Uh, insurrection. Insurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't that the one that gets panned sometimes? It, I think, it, I, th- I think Nemesis, the last next oh, movie, gets panned more. Um, I, I don't think this one. I don't think this. It didn't do as well at the box office, but I don't think it suffered so much uh, critically, though. I don't think. I don't think it got panned too much. Okay, so it wasn't more of a critical panning. Sound. Yeah. Well, you know what? I enjoyed this movie. This is a good movie. I was glad to go back and watch it. There were certain things I was looking forward to in the rewatch. And so would I watch it again? Yes. I may not do it right away. So may not do it right away. Well, I believe that's it. Do we have anything else? We, we should uh, wrap up the show, huh? We should, or we'll keep talking about. Uh, we'll keep talking about this till yeah. Kingdom Come. But mm-hmm. uh, very good. We will probably do one other show this year. We want. We should talk about it after we're done recording here, real quickly, and see what we want to do for the final show of this year. Unless we do uh, one after Christmas, but um, we can talk about that off the air here in just a little bit. Okay. So, I, unless there's any final thoughts, I think we're ready to wrap up the show. Or Chrissy, Dave, anything you guys want to say yet? No. All okay. right. All right, so why don't you go ahead and take us out? All right, till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see you. Leave your tips on the table. Go boldly, my friends. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the owners of this establishment would love to hear from you. Send your comments and feedback to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner. 